the Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Abner Marez is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. To chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid who in the streets to a boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life, and being a husband and a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares whenever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In the Know, brought to you by betonline.ag. And indeed, uh, this time around, we have a special guest, Div Bonsali, at Stat Center on Twitter. And he's a really, really knowledgeable follow. Make sure you hit him up. He tweets all kinds of great statistical analysis. He's been trading, tweeting about Hall of Fame candidacy recently. So uh, make, make sure you check that out. But also, he's a Charlotte Hornets fan and... We're going around the league asking people that we follow to hop on our podcast, discuss their team, and give us some input on on what they feel about the Pelicans. Div, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Div, as a Hornets fan, I must ask you, it's a pretty random team to be a fan of. Uh, What was your journey? What brought you to Hornets fandom? Yeah, so I, I did not grow up as a Hornets fan. I grew up in New York, um, grew up as a Knicks fan, and 
ultimately at some point um, decided that the thought of another 40 years of being a fan of a team owned by James Dolan was just too much for my mental sanity. Yes. Um, you know, if you've got, uh, if you are a fan of a team with a bad coach or, or uh, a GM that you can't stand, you figure they'll be gone in a few years anyway, but um, owners might outlive you. So, um, and so finally I, I just decided I, I couldn't take, um, couldn't take that anymore. And I just became sort of a general NBA fan for a few years. Um, and that's when I started my Twitter account at Stat Center. And then uh, six years ago, moved here uh, to North Carolina, live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, went to a couple of Hornets games down in Charlotte and just really loved the atmosphere and loved the vibe of the team and uh, became a fan. So yeah, I've been, uh, been a Hornets fan for about six years now. Like I can I, I can relate to the uh, to the Knicks fan. My 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 dad's from New York, and so I I, I was born in New Orleans, obviously. And I you know f- until we got the team in two thousand two, I was a Knicks guy. I, I I think that I just by just by fate was able to jump ship at the exact right time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I lasted a couple of years longer than you did, and then when there were uh, harassment lawsuits and everything else that was going on, in addition to the ridiculous t- t- decision making, I was like, all right, I'm out. That's it. Yep. That's a pretty smart decision. Your journey to be a Hornets fan uh, was not unlike my journey to be a Hornets fan back when they were the New Orleans Hornets. I kind of moved around the country, didn't really have uh, a specific team until I came to New Orleans, fell in love with the whole Chris Paul thing. And mm-hmm. it's been history since. But when you first became a fan, were, were they still the Bobcats or had they transitioned fully over to the Hornets? They had transitioned back over to the Hornets at that point. So, yeah, thankfully, I wasn't here for the um, 7-59 and 59 Bobcat season that was supposed to end in Anthony Davis ending up here. But he's, he went somewhere <laughs> else. I can't remember where he ended up. <laughs> um but Michael Kidd Gilchrist is good, yeah right? yeah well yeah yeah I, I actually did love watching NKG but I could never look at him without thinking about who was taking one spot ahead of him so that was unfortunate wow yeah no that that's got to be rough at least you missed like the worst year of all time that that's got to be something to hold on to yeah yeah that's true yeah but you know the Hornets have been interesting during your your tenure as a fan with them they've made uh, the playoffs what once twice they've made it twice since i've been a fan twice this is that's the exact amount of time that anthony davis made the playoffs so you know not not <laughs> missing anything uh there but you know you you talk about switching from uh questionable to i mean just bad ownership to what the hornets have now how do you you know feel about jordan as an owner and the job he's kind of done with the Hornets and, you know, now Mitch, Mitch Kupchak is the general manager. Do you feel like they have a, a solidified direction that they're heading in? You know, it's interesting. Kupchak's been in the job for a couple of years now. And when he was hired to replace Rich Cho, I mean, I think everyone uh, in Hornets land was ready to be done with Rich Cho. Um, you know, Michael Jordan has sort of been known for, falling in love with college stars and, and year after year we were drafting, you know, I mean, Kemba Walker obviously was, was a great pick, but the reason he got picked is because he was a final four most outstanding player. Uh, Frank Kaminsky played in the final four. Cody Zeller was a college star, Um, you know, all the way through to Malik Monk um, having a great year at Kentucky. Like it was just kind of one guy after another who, who fit this type. And, um, and it was very clear that, that Jordan really, 
felt strongly about going that going that route. He tended to play it very safe, um, and he tended to go with well-known college guys. So when Kupchak came in, uh, I think the best thing I can say since Kupchak's been there is he can be the grown-up in the room, and because he and Jordan know each other from way back, they both have Tar Heel roots from UNC, um, he's able to, I think, say no to him sometimes and, and, uh, and maybe get him to think a little bit more in terms of building a more modern NBA team. Um, so over the past two years, without having a top 10 draft pick, uh, drafting Devontae Graham in the second round, PJ Washington, uh, Miles Bridges, um, Cody Martin in the second round, uh, Caleb Martin undrafted. Like there's been some, some real progress and I think good value finds there. Um, so, you know, overall, I think uh, there have been ups and downs uh, the way that the last year of Kemba Walker being here was handled. Um, was really unfortunate, and, and they seem completely surprised that he might actually want to get a max contract somewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, I think overall I'd say I'm, I'm neutral to slightly positive on, on the uh, short Kupchak era so far, and, uh, and now we've got the most important draft pick that the Hornets have had in a really, really long time, so we'll see what Kupchak is able to do with that. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Um, what, um, you know, how do you, what do you feel about that pick? I mean, what's, uh, um, what, what's, do you have a preferred approach or, or preferred player? Uh, what's, what's, what are you thinking? Obi Toppin, right? <laughs> don't, don't hit me there. Don't hit me there. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the short answer is anybody but Obi. Um, but the, the, the longer answer is I think, um, it, it, if you look at sort of the top 10 picks in this draft, uh, two things I would say about them. Number one, you would get more um, discussion and debate and argument about who should be in the top 10 compared to almost any draft that I can remember. Um, you know, there, there are people who many analysts would have in the top three or four that others would say don't belong in the top 10 at all. Um, and the other part is it is so incredibly flat from one to six. So the Hornets were originally going into the lottery. Uh, the most likely outcome was for them to stay at eight. And so looking at the board at that time, I thought, well, you know, there's nine-ish guys that I, I felt about the same uh, about. So I thought uh, eight is fine. Well, you know, we'll, we'll still have a good chance to get one of those guys. Um, and that's fine. Um, I would say for me personally, um, the two picks that would be uh, home run picks for me are LaMelo Ball or Killian Hayes. Um, I'd feel terrific about both of them. Um, I think, you know, my personal draft philosophy is the, the hardest thing to find is your lead creator and initiator. Um, you know, the person who can be the fulcrum of your offense and, and sort of drive that. And I think that both those guys have the potential to be able to do that. And, and in my estimation, they're probably the only two in this draft who have a reasonable chance of that happening. Um, uh, and a little bit below that, I would have Anthony Edwards, um, who I don't really know what to make of. Um, he's an amazing athlete and, um, and he's got phenomenal size. And I, that's really, really great. I'm not sure what else he can do right now, but it's a little bit of a clean slate. So, um, and then, you know, there's a possibility of going big um, with a Kongwu or Wiseman. You know, normally I'm not a big fan of taking a big uh, up at number three, but given, it, you know, if Kupchak and company decide that this is not a particularly strong draft in terms of non-big positions and they really fall in love with one of those two guys and they're available at three, 
I'm I'm okay with that as well. Um, I think they're both really good good prospects. So um, yeah, I, I think that those are probably um, uh, some of the ones that I'd be um, I'd be most interested in. I've heard some talk about Danny Advia. I've heard some talk about Isaac Okoro as well. Um, so I, I'd be surprised if it's somebody outside of those six. Now I will say, getting back to my friend Obi Toppin, um, that name keeps keeps coming up every once in a while in relation to the Hornets. Um, and I think part of it is that it's just sort of the, oh, well, he was college player of the year. So of course the Hornets are going to be interested in him. Um, but looking at the recent draft picks, especially PJ Washington last year, I think they've really started to value versatility and people who they believe can play two way. And uh, Toppin in my mind doesn't fit that at all. Um, I, I think he's going to be horrible on defense and I may be completely wrong on that, but that's, that's my perspective on it. Um, so I, I'm really hoping it's not him. Um, so, you know, I, I look at it as PJ Washington is, is going to be a part of this team for a long time. I think Devontae Graham is going to be as well. Everyone else, it's sort of, you know, questionable. And, um, and, and even those guys, I mean, there may be somebody else who, who fits a similar profile as them that we could draft who might end up being better than them. So, um, so I'm not constrained by position at all. Um, I would say those are the five or six guys that I probably like the best there. So first of all, I agree with your assessment of top and I don't want him. I wouldn't even draft him at 13 with the Pelicans. I mean, the, the guy is just old. And as you said, he's an extremely one way player. And to be a one position uh, big who doesn't really defend, you have to be outlier level good offensively mm-hmm. to offset that. You, know, you have to be like cat level good yeah. offensively to, to offset that. And I think it's a tall task for, for Toppin, who is, you know, barely younger than John Collins, who I think is a similar player, but just a lot better, just yeah. flat out better. Um, so I agree with you there, but do you think there's a possibility that they don't necessarily love someone at three and they'll trade back uh, for slightly worse pick and maybe some more assets? Or do you think they're going to take the approach of like at three, we feel like we can bring in a guy that gives us an identity, gives us some star power, gives us some oomph, makes us uh, exciting, you know, gets the fan base going, yeah. uh, that kind of approach. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about that last part first. So Charlotte has, by a lot of measures, the smallest fan base in, uh, in the NBA. I mean, if you go by, um, you know, how many people are, uh, if you go by sort of combinations of season ticket holders and, um, and, and how much viewership they get um, and, and other measures. I mean, it's, you know, bottom three, four in, in most of those measures. And so the notion of bringing excitement into the building does carry some value. Um, you know, it'd be naive for me to think that that has zero value on it. What I'm encouraged by is that Mitch Kupchak has been saying since the season ended, um, and our season ended a lot earlier than, than the Pelicans did, um, because we only, wanted... only literally, not really, uh, <laughs> <any> other match. <laughs> fair, fair. Um, so, uh, yeah, season was over on March 12th. Um, yeah, interestingly, we beat Miami in the last game that we played in, <laughs> uh, in the season. Um, but, um, it, it, almost immediately after that, um, Cupjack started talking about the fact that, look, we are not even close to where we want to be in terms of overall talent level. And the only thing we're thinking about with this first round pick is just increasing the overall amount of talent that we have in the building. 
Now, I think when they moved up to three, um, while that continued to be the case, I think that probably came in along with, wow, we, for the first time in a long time, are drafting in a position where we've got a chance to get real elite star talent, um, where, where we've got a reasonable chance of doing that. And so that can change your approach a little bit and say, okay, well, you know, let's take the guy who might be a little bit riskier in some ways, but has more upside, which we might not have been as willing to do as eight because the upside wouldn't have been as great. You know, maybe let's really swing for the fences right now. Um, and, and nothing the Kupchak has said so far seems to go against the fact that they're going to go with whoever they think um, has the best chance to, uh, to really lift the entire talent level of this team. So, um, so given that, I think there's a good likelihood that they stay at three. Um, I don't think they want to use assets to move up, even if there's one particular guy who, who they're after. I, they've been very stingy with giving up assets um, since Kupchak came in. Um, in terms of moving down, I would absolutely think they'd be open to it. Um, I, I think the challenge for anybody picking in the top five is who's going to want to move up to there. Um, you know, somebody's got to fall in love with a specific player. Um, I think the best chance of that happening is if either Ball or Edwards drops to three and the Hornets don't love whichever one ends up dropping. Um, I think, you know, those are guys that I could definitely see a team in the later half of the top 10, um, you know, wanting to move up for and, uh, and being willing to give up some assets for. So outside of that, I'm not really sure that anybody would, because I think, um, you know, if somebody is really high on Killian Hayes or really high on a Kongwu, they might just say, well, let me stay at six or seven or eight. And I, I can probably get that guy here anyway. So I think it's going to be difficult to, to manufacture a market for, um, for anybody else. So, so you're saying that you expect the Knicks to trade up for Lamelo Ball? I mean, we're open for business. <laughs> yeah, <what> I'm saying. <laughs> um, well, so I, I kind of want to shift the conversation a little bit from uh, from the draft to uh, to really, to the rest of the roster. And so I know that so there's been a lot of talk, maybe with the Hornets a little bit more than others, of kind of like you say, open for business but in the sense of uh, asset accumulation. And so understand that this is still very much a, um, we're, you know, rebuilding or, you know, still eating some other bad contracts on the books. Um, you know, what's, what's kind of your vision for the off season for, for Charlotte? I mean, what, um, you know, obviously you've got that last year of Batum who I, I don't know for sure, but I kind of think he might consider opting into that last con- last year. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Jury's still out, but um, you know, $27 million. It's cut seems like kind of a lot. Um, but what, what, what else, what do you kind of see them, them doing? What's your, you know, what's your expectation? I know I'm not trying to ask about any specific players, but just as far as strategy, what, 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 what makes sense to you? Yep. Uh, I, I think there are two routes to go in, um, in, in terms of using the cap space and, and we'll see where the cap ends up coming in. Apparently more and more people are saying they're going to keep it static from this year, which is like just over 109, I think. Um, so if that ends up being the case, we don't have max level room this year, but we've got, you know, room to, uh, we've got more than mid-level, which only a handful of teams do. So, um, so I, I think there's a couple of ways that, that they could play this. Um, one is to basically, um, let somebody rent out that room in exchange for giving us an asset. So, you know, it can be, um, somebody who's got a year or honestly, the Hornets, I, I think are open to even somebody with two years of bad money left. Um, if the asset that's attached to that is is good enough. And, and so I think that could be attractive 
to teams um, for two reasons. One is if they've got their eye on somebody else that they want to go after. But I think the other possibility is I'm expecting there are going to be some teams that are in really dire financial situation because of everything that's been happening this year um, and may just want to get off, get off more money, especially if there aren't going to be fans in the stands. So, so far, there has not been any indication that the Hornets are looking to cost cut in terms of the roster. Um, they're still saying all the right things in terms of being uh, open to taking on money um, if there's something attached to it. So I think that's one way that they could do it. I think the other way is to try to get in front of uh, somebody who is either an unrestricted or restricted free agent under the age of 25, who can at least become a role player with upside um, and doesn't have to necessarily be somebody who's going to be a starter right away. Might be somebody who never becomes a starter, but at least try to fill, um, fill the cabinet with a little bit more talent, a little bit more competition for spots as well. And, um, and a little bit more versatility in the lineup. So, you know, I think if you can get somebody who's on the same general age range as Devontae Graham and, and PJ and uh, Miles Bridges and, and other folks, you know, I think that would be um, a solid way to use that space as well. Um, and like you said, one more year of Batum, um, 27 million, uh, and then that comes off the books. Um, so next year, whether, the Hornets take on money right now or not, they're going to have more space than they know what to do with next summer. So that's not really an issue. They can, uh, they can afford to invest a little bit right now if, if the asset is right. So I think I have a couple questions based off of. The wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From games, spreads, and totals, the team, player, and coaching props. Bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Who is on the roster currently? It seems like there's some decisions to be made, but the one of the more intriguing ones to me is is Malik Monk. Uh, he's had ups and downs with with Charlotte. He was one of their higher picks in in recent years uh, at eleven. What do you make of him as a player? What do you see with regards to his future on the team, especially with the emergence of? Um, Devontae Graham and then you know you, you still have Terry Rozier who wasn't awful this year Rozier was 
fine. You know, he was, he had a fine year and you might be adding another perimeter player at three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the saga of Malik Monk has been something else over there over these three years. Um, so as you guys might remember in Monk's one year at Kentucky, he was there the same year as Duran Fox. Um, he was a lights out shooter, um, uh, lights out from three, had great touch, great at the free throw line. All the indicators were there that this was one of the very best uh, long distance shooters in that draft. And you fast forward to now, and basically his offensive value is everything except outside shooting. Um, he did a fantastic job this year um, at the rim. Um, if I remember correctly, I think he was uh, he was over 70% at the rim this year. Um, his improved his floater game um, is just dynamic in terms of getting to the basket. Um, Malik's uh, someone who, you know, a lot of times when you draft somebody who's skinny, you think, well, you know, in a couple of years, they're going to add on 20 pounds of muscle and then they're going to be a totally different player. And most of the time, it just doesn't quite work out that way. You may get some gains, but um, but then they give it back during the year and, and it's sort of a little bit of a yo-yo. Malik has really put on a lot of weight and he's carrying it really well. And it's it allowed him to become a much more physical player on offense. Um, and and he can still hit his free throws and, and get to the line a lot. So, so that's been really, really productive. He just hasn't been able to shoot consistently. Um, and so it, he's been sort of tweaking his form a little bit. It looks like he's finally getting into where he wants to be and where the Hornets want it to be. Um, he was shooting well right before the season ended, um, you know, in a small sample there. So if he can unlock that once again, um, he's, in some ways, the most complete scorer on this roster. Um, and, and I put out there on, on Twitter a few weeks ago that I actually think there's a path to him becoming the type of sixth man who can put up 20, 21 points a game um, because he's just so explosive when he's able to get to the spots on the court that he wants to. And the only thing that's holding him back right now is everyone's going under on everything uh, with him and, and just daring him to shoot. So if he can just get back to being the shooter that he was a couple of years ago, I, I think it's going to be really, really tough to, to stop him. And, um, you know, I've, I've pegged him for a couple of years now as like a potential future sixth man of the year candidate if everything came together. And I, 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 I still believe in it. Yeah. The more and, of that Lou Will type role. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think he's, you know, he's, and he, it's that same sort of thing of like, he's really shifty. He's unpredictable, can go both directions. Um, you know, I, I think he could fit into that. Yeah, and like I, I feel like uh, just if you've got a guy who's a, I mean your your point about his free throw shooting is so spot on because he's an eighty five percent career free throws here three years and and obviously the the correlation isn't perfect between that and the ability to shoot from distance but it's a good indicator and so I think that the jury's still very much out on that and I think uh, that's something to definitely watch with him um, you know, moving forward. Uh, Shimon, I think you had one. You said you had another question about a different player, but so I want to let, let you go. Yeah, Cody Zeller. What's up with him? I mean, he only has what one year left on his contract. Do you feel like he's moved? Do you feel like they just kind of write out his contract and let him go do Cody Zeller things after when he once he hits free agency? Uh, what? Where do you feel they're at with him? I mean, he's still a solid big. He's not a bad player at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's 
You know, Cody's always been a player who the numbers never jump off the page. Um, but I mean, for the last five years that uh, the Kemba Walker was in Charlotte, um, consistently Kemba plus Cody would be so much better than Kemba without Cody. And um, and the reason was twofold. The most important part of that is I think Cody might be the single best screen setter in the NBA. Uh, and if he's not number one, he's way up there. Um, and, and it's one of those little things. There's no stat for it. it you know, if you're a casual watcher of a team, you're not going to notice it at all. Um, but he's just phenomenal at it. And so obviously that benefited Kemba. And, and now that benefited uh, Devante and to a lesser extent, uh, Terry this year as well. Um, so that's uh, a significant part of his value. And I think the other part is he's just a really smart decision maker um, on both offense and defense. He, he thinks quickly. Um, if he gets a ball and he's not going to shoot it, he keeps moving it. And on defense, he's, uh, gets everybody in position. You know, he's not the fastest, most athletic guy anymore. Um, he's lost a little bit of that because of injuries, um, but still athletic enough and, and is always in the right spot. So just, you know, kind of a solid, um, you know, starting center slash third big, uh, depending on, on your team. Um, the problem is 15 million for his final year. If he was down at nine or 10 million, I think it's very likely that he would be moved either either this offseason or um, sometime during the year next year. Um, I think 15 is going to make it a little bit tougher, um, especially if the cap stays where it is. Um, but, you know, I think he uh, if you think about some sort of asset play that, you know, potentially involves him and some other salary of a similar or larger size coming back uh, to the Hornets, I think that's where it could potentially work. Um, so. You know, I think there's some possibilities there. Um, it, you know, if there's a team that has um, a forward um, or, or potentially even a big who's on a longer term contract and they're looking to offload that but still need somebody to be uh, either a, a part time starter or um, or a sixth man. You know, I think Cody could fit into that role really, really well. Yeah, I've been a big fan of his for quite some time. The fifth, you're right. The 15 million number makes it a little bit difficult in terms of salary matching. I was like, how do I get this dude on the Pelicans? And <laughs> you know, he, I've always kind of thrown in Darius Miller for these kind of like fake trades mm-hmm. because he's a seven-ish million dollar expiring. With you know, the Pelicans would need three-ish more million to get the job done. And I don't know if he's worth inserting like a Nikhil Alexander Walker. You know, if we if we still had Frank Jackson on some deals and if you had making around 3 million, maybe it would be a possibility. Oh, I guess we have Melly. I didn't think about that. Would I, would I trade Miller and Melly for Cody Zeller? Would you Mason? I don't think the Pelicans would. <laughs> and and so a I second, know. uh, I, I, you have to make it worthwhile for, for Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Pelicans have higher, uh, not to, I don't think next season. I think I, if I had to choose next season, I'd probably, yeah, I'm taking Zeller, but I think the Pelicans have hopes for 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 the role that Melly will play being um, more more tailored to the roster. But uh, I, I would I would think about it. Div, do you think it's one of those situations where Zeller just ends up on the buyout market and some contender eventually scoops him up? I think it's entirely possible. And this actually brings up uh, so this past year, Charlotte ran into this situation with both. Uh, Kid Gilchrist and yeah. Marvin Williams um, both were, um, you know, in trade rumors. 
uh, MKG eventually ended up in Dallas and, um, and Marvin, they just decided to do right by them. They didn't have a deal to a place that he wanted to go to and, um, and that they thought was worthwhile. And so even though they could have gotten a little something for him, um, they just uh, let him go, um, bought him out, and, uh, and he ended up with a contender in Milwaukee. Um, so Charlotte tends to, um, it tends to be pretty open to doing those sorts of deals midseason. Um, and, and I think they would for Cody as well. I mean, Cody's really well regarded by the organization and, and by the fans as well. So, um, you know, I don't think anybody would begrudge you know, giving him a chance to, to end this contract on, uh, on a team that's, that's going to be competitive, um, which Charlotte certainly is not going to be next year. So I, I could certainly see that happening. And the other advantage of that is you do that halfway through the season, you're no longer taking on 15 million at that point, right? It makes it a little bit easier to make the, the math work as well. Yeah, yeah I feel like he, that's, that's a Boston type move. They already had his brother. They had the other Zeller. Yep. And uh, I feel like, you know, Boston would be waiting to scoop up a player like Cody who'd be so good for them because he already played with Kemba. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that would make a lot of sense. Man. So I want to flip the conversation a little bit towards the Pelicans and first kind of get your thoughts on on who the Pelicans were this year and what direction do you feel like they should take uh, the, next, the coming year? You know, I've I've written about the Pelicans slowing things down, um, and kind of waiting it out and accumulate some assets, at least for one year and uh, before making a, a jump into the playoffs. But there's also good arguments for them to not go that direction and really just kind of uh, lean in on the roster they had, maybe add a couple pieces because Zion is pretty good and Ingram yeah. is pretty good. Uh, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on where the Pelicans are and, and what direction you feel like they're going to head. Yeah. Or do you think um, should head? You know, there were both in terms of the times I saw them uh, this year and, and then looking at their stats recently as well. I think there's a lot to like on the offensive profile. Um, there's a lot of uh, attempts at the rim, a lot of three point attempts. Uh, I think top 10 in frequency in both those. That's good. Um, and, and the shooting efficiency was there. I mean, the, the team's a whole shot really effectively uh, from the floor. And, and I think that's really good. Um, and uh, obviously, did some really strong work in transition, um, you know, pretty good transition game off of steals and just about the best in the league off of live rebounds. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I can, I think every NBA fan can sort of see exactly what a Pelicans fast break off the live rebound looks like in their, in their head. Um, and if you look at the young personnel on this team, that makes sense. And, and both of those advantages should be sustainable or at least somewhat sustainable. Um, the two things that I just could not wrap my heart, arms around or my, my head around number one was what the heck was up with all the turnovers I mean like I, I remember uh, the only game that Charlotte and and New Orleans played this year was really early in the year I think uh, I think you guys came in one in seven or one in six or something and um, and beat the Hornets by maybe five or so um, but it was a turnover and foul fest. I, I mean, I like I was almost ready to turn off the TV, even though Brendan Ingram was great and Devontae Graham was great in that. Uh, it, it was kind of a, um, a wake up call in terms of how good Devontae was. So that was enjoyable. But like it was a terrible game in terms of just turnovers on both sides. Um, and looking at the numbers like that was a problem for New Orleans all year long. And, and I, I'm, I guess part of it is Lonzo. Um, you know, he turned it over way more than he ever did in L.A. And I. 
I was really surprised to, to see that in his game. Um, so, you know, on the offensive side, like I see, I see the framework there. Um, but I just wonder how that goes to being a more Zion centric framework or Zion and BI together centric framework in the future, because Zion played so little this year. Um, on the defensive side, I mean, like, I like, a, I like a bunch of guys on the Pelicans as defensive personnel. I obviously everybody likes Drew. Um, I love favors. I, I've always been a really, really big favors fan. Um, always thought he was really underrated. You know, for years he was behind Rudy Gobert or playing alongside him in that weird two big lineup. Um, and then he's also had a bunch of injuries, which we saw again this year. Um, but I, I mean, I remember as soon as he came back this year, the defensive rebounding improved. Opponents weren't getting those easy attempts at the rim anymore. The Pels stopped fouling everybody in sight. Like, you know, just everything made a lot more sense on, on defense there. So, like, I, I think the big question I had sort of looking at this season-long stats and the times that I watched them play is, like, is there something real there on defense between Drew and Derek and, and Josh Hart and Lonzo and I guess Kenrich uh, joins that as well? Like, that seems like pretty decent defensive personnel. I mean, there's obviously other guys on this team who are not decent defensive personnel, but – is this a case of like, you know, the, some of the parts didn't equal the whole and if there was a different coach, they could immediately whip that into shape? Or is there something else more fundamental missing here that that I as an outsider don't don't see? Those are questions I feel like Pelicans fans ask themselves on a, on a daily basis. <laughs> and, you know, I think you brought up some great points I wanted to touch on on turnovers a bit and I'll let, I'll, I'll let Mason touch on the coaching aspect, but you know, uh, cause I think that the two are kind of related because Alvin Gentry, his system predicated on pace, 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 but also a lot of ball movement. They wanted to be near the top of the league and assist per game uh, every single time. And, you know, they, that was their whole offensive philosophy and there wasn't much structure around that offensive philosophy is more free flowing The players had a lot of freedom. And I think when you have a group of young guys who don't have the necessary experience and plus it's a lot of their first time playing together, uh, there is a chemistry mismatch of, of, you know, who's going to be in what spot, who am I passing it to? And that, and that kind of leads to the turnover uh, problem. So I think the turnovers also contributed to their poor defense um, at least to some extent, because they were just a horrendous transition defense team. Yeah. And the more opportunities you allow the opponents to get out in transition is just terrible for, for the Pelicans. Um, so I think there's a lot of growth that can be done on that end. And, and I think the kind of idea of bringing in a new coach is, is exactly that to, to provide structure, to provide um, a different layer, but, you know, Mason, um, yeah, just going to let hand the baton off to you if you want to talk about some of the defensive issues and, and how a coaching could relate to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, defensively specifically, I, I think you're. I think you're right uh, in looking at some of the, the the parts here not adding up to the whole. But uh, I think some of it that gets lost is specifically related to, um, you know, as it relates to favors. Uh, you're right about the injuries, and also it, it just didn't look like the same guy. I mean. Yeah. He he didn't uh, he when he was his mobility did not look the same guy we saw in Utah, um, and, and then I think you you saw the numbers with him defensively be way better with this team than without. But I think that also kind of uh, sh- shows the 
the difference between the next guys up. So whenever they didn't have favors, I mean, you look at the rest of the guys, Jackson Hayes, athletic, uh, did a decent job at the rim, but still very young. And we know rookies are not never, almost never pluses defensively. Um, Melly, you know, he's, he's got his own limitations, obviously. And then, uh, I mean, Ja, uh, whenever he, he got in similar results. And so they're, and then, you know, you look forward to when Zion debuted, I mean, Zion was a disaster defensively. And so there really wasn't much in the interior and there's only so much the guys like Drew Holiday can do um, when you have such inconsistent interior, uh, you know, protection. Um, Lonzo Ball was very, he, I, I'd say overall, he was decent defensively. Obviously the potential is there. He, I, I have high expectations for him, for him still defensively, but it was very inconsistent throughout the year. Um Ingram was usually not good. Um, Josh Hart, I, I think he was a, a bright spot, but also, I mean, it just, it, it was a situation where between the injuries and the, the lack of a consistent defensive presence inside, um, it was, they struggled to piece things together um, free, uh, you know, on a, in a, again, on a consistent basis. And so whether you want to, ch- I mean, it's, I think it's a lot of things. Um, I, 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 I really, <laughs> the coaching topic has exhausted me over the last few months. And now that we are, have moved on from Alvin Gentry to who knows who at this point, yeah. um, you know, all, all I'll say is that I feel like Gentry got um, too much of the blame uh, for, for a lot of that when they're the, I think just ultimately that there, there isn't a lot of defensive IQ on this roster up and down. Yeah. And so um, I think a lot of it is, you know, like the, the things you said about Cody Zeller, this Pelicans team lacks. Uh, if, if there's a succinct way to put it, I think it's that. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What so, did I miss? What did I miss you, Matt? <laughs> no, I mean, I think you covered it, it really well. I think, yeah, the, the, I guess the one thing we didn't touch upon is like the personalities on this team, which they're um, not very talkative at all. They mm-hmm. barely even talk on the team planes. And, and I think, communication is super important on the defensive end and and you're right you you said it this isn't a very high iq team and so they're missing they're missing that that leader on the floor that's really going to get them all going get them all in line um so who knows if the pelicans are going to find that in a player or or their next coach we we will see uh but keeping it a little bit on the pelicans but wrapping it back up to the the hornets div are there any particular players on the Pelicans, um, non-Zion, non-Brandon Inger related, that you would want the Charlotte Hornets to try to trade for? And um, and why is that player Lonzo Ball that you're going to pair with LaMelo Ball? And, <laughs> and why is Jordan obsessed with that? Please tell me more. Uh, it, I, I, all I'll say on Lonzo is I was a lot more intrigued by him when nobody else was in L.A. than I am now. Um <laughs> I, I just I, join the club. I, I heard what you join guys said the club. Of, uh, <laughs> I heard what you guys said a couple of episodes ago about like should there be talks on an extension? What's the right number? And and you guys finally I think just kind of threw your hands up and it was like you know what let's just let this play out and and let's see what happens because who knows what this guy is you know after this off season and that's that's pretty much where I am with him as well. I am not interested in bringing Lonzo uh, to play with his brother conceivably. How dare fall. you? <laughs> um, I, I'd say there's a couple of guys who, who are interesting to me. I mean, I think Melly is kind of interesting in a way because um, I, I understand, you know, he's clearly got limitations. On the other hand, 
I think, and he's older. Um, what is he, 28, maybe 29 now? Um, yeah, so, something like that. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I understand he's on a different timetable than the Hornets as a whole. But I will say that I'm really intrigued by pairing P.J. Washington with somebody like Melly. Um, because P.J. showed, uh, the, the most impressive thing about his rookie year was he showed a much wider range of skills than I was led to believe. And, and like, I feel like this is true of almost everybody who comes out of Kentucky. Like they leave Kentucky and all of a sudden they know how to do stuff that they never got to show there. Um, but, um, you know, he was a dead-eye corner shooter. Um, he was really good uh, handling the ball a little bit, showed some short roll possibilities um, and, and just a lot of toughness as well. I think he's more of a four than a five in the long term. So, uh, but, but I think there's some flexibility there. And, and so I, I actually kind of see like an interesting potential fit uh, with Melly there. Um, so that's one guy who I would, I would kind of look at and say, yeah, it's not for the long term, but it could actually help PJ in particular. Uh, and I think to a lesser extent, Miles Bridges be able to, to spread their wings in a way that's good for a young player that isn't too much for them to take on at one time. Do you, so Let's talk about PJ a little bit. What do you project his growth out to be like? You know, he, as you said, he showed a lot more this year. Do you expect him to kind of keep developing um, all round skills and maybe even turn into like a Paul Millsap player who does a little bit of everything, puts the ball on the floor, shoots well, can pass a little, uh, or, you know, do you have different projections for, for PJ? Yeah, I think Millsap would be a, a really good comp on, on obviously the, you know, really high end, um, you know, prime Paul Millsap was, was awesome. I mean, he was an all-star. He was, you know, the hub of, um, of a really good team on, on defense and, and important on offense as well. I think PJ has a lot of those same attributes. Um, you know, I think before, uh, before I really got to see him, um, you know, just based on his college performance and, um, and what I'd heard about him, my thought was, man, I wish he was like, two inches taller and, and it had just a little bit more wingspan. I mean, he's got a seven foot plus wingspan, but, you know, I was thinking if you had a couple more inches of height, this becomes a modern center. Um, and I think what he's become is a modern big, whether that's at the four or five and, and he'll probably get more playing time at the four, but, um, I, and some Hornets fans really don't want to see him at the five because they feel like he'll get pushed around. But I think if you look late in games, a lot of times, um, you know, teams go small on, on one side and then the other team sort of matches that and, and you end up with, you know, five versatile players or at least four versatile players out on the court. Um, so his shooting stroke is ahead of where I expected it to be. Um, his ability to make quick decisions on offense is ahead of where I expected it to be. Um, I, I think the big next, uh, the, the two big next pieces of growth for him are more consistency on defense. Um, he looked okay at times. He looked pretty good at times, actually. Um, definitely has toughness, has good feet, um, and uses that seven one seven two wingspan pretty effectively. But um, ends up sort of a step away, as rookies often do, from where they're supposed to be. Um, you know, some off-ball watching issues. and But things that I think are pretty easy to clean up. Like, I think the, the basis is there for, for, for pretty solid defense. For me personally, the thing I'd love to see is them putting the ball in his hands more when Devontae or Terry uh, have to give it up, when somebody hedges them on the pick and roll or, or doubles them straight out. Um, 
let let PJ cook. Let him find the corner shooters. Let him kick it back up top. Um, you know, let, let's let him make those kinds of decisions, um, which they were a little bit reluctant to this year, which I totally understand. He's 21, I think, this uh, this season. Um, but I would love to see him be able to get more of that. And then I think you've got like a real two-way forward um, who can always stay on court. That's a really good outlook on, on PJ, who I'm a big fan of. I was very impressed with the, you know, I think it was his first game. He came out and made like seven threes or yeah. something absurd. It was like, what, where, where did this come from? Yeah, it was uh, ridiculous. Classic Calipari uh, burying talent. That's what that is. Uh, you know, you've seen it with Bam, like this dude can pass. He never did it. Yeah. It's like Kentucky, you know, or Carl yeah. Anthony Towns. So that's to me, uh, I think a really good summary on, on PJ. Now here's a tough question for you. What would it take for the Pelicans to acquire Devonte Graham? So um, my first offer is Lonzo ball and the 13th pick. Is that enough from a value perspective um, or is there something would you, would you go in a different direction or is, is he just not going to be on the table? So, um, so a lot of Hornets fans would say he's not going to be on the table because we all loved him so much this year. It's such an amazing story for this guy to come out of basically nowhere, you know, and, and end up becoming uh, what he did this year. I'm a little bit more of a realist about it. Um, and so looking at it realistically, I mean, he's 25, he's six foot two, and he's got one year left on his contract. I, I think he's open to, uh, it, it, there's some talk that he might be open to an extension right now. And, and the max that extension could be, I think is starting at like 12 uh, per year, 12 to 13 per year. So, you know, they could do like four. That'd per, be a steal. Um, but if I were Devante, I, I might say, let me bet on myself for one more year and try to, you know, try to get my one big payday because he's already going to be 26 when he hits unrestricted. Um, so from my perspective, I'd be open to Devante. Um, I mean, oh, Lonzo. I, so uh, what I would say about taking on Lonzo is I think part of it would depend on, on who we end up taking at three. Um, so if we got Anthony Edwards at three, you could convince me that Lonzo and Anthony Edwards plus the number 13 pick as well. That's kind of an interesting, um, kind of an interesting duo. Um, you know, like I, I could, I could sort of see that. And, and Lonzo is still only, I think 22 or something. So like they're, they're still very much on the same track. Um, the thing that worries me is um, what is Lonzo thinking his next contract is going to be like, um, because, like, I, I just don't think he's a point guard. That's my problem with Lonzo is I just feel like he frames himself as a point guard and he does things on the court because he thinks he's a point guard and he's not a point guard. Like, I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but I just. <laughs> we I just, just spent a podcast talking about this exact thing. <laughs> Shit. Uh, All right, the secret's out. <laughs> yeah. Like, Whoops. I, 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 honestly, if Lonzo had come up as a high school kid and in his year at UCLA being called a point forward, right. Or, or whatever, or even a combo. Um, like, I think the way he perceives himself would be completely different. And, and, but he's just so attached to, well, I'm a point guard. And these are the things that point guards are allowed to do. And like, I, I just don't think those are the things he does. So if he's expecting to be paid like a quote unquote starting point guard in the NBA, 
Um, I, I don't think that's a contract I, I want to take on for, you know, one year and then have to deal with that hassle. Yeah, you're kind of looking at the situation where he's going to see Terry on the same roster and be like, yo, if Terry could get this money coming off the year that he did, why can't I? Yeah, yeah. And and I think the short answer is Terry shouldn't have gotten that money, um, but but he's not going to see it that way. And, and it's going to be, yeah, that's that's going to be a that's going to be a problem there. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Mason, do you have any uh, burning questions you, you want to get to before I wrap it up with my final thing? Um, I don't think so. The, I mean, my, the biggest question I had was just what uh, the, the, the Hornets off season is very interesting to me. Uh, and we covered it. Uh, that was, that was my number one around like, what's, what's the plan based on the guys that are available and the Hornets being one of the few teams with cap space and like, what's, what are the options? And so we, we hit that. Um, so what, the one thing, um, Div, I, you, you mentioned Melly. Was there a second guy you were thinking where you were looking at for the Pelicans? I didn't remember. I couldn't remember. I thought you may have mentioned. Yeah. Those two. Yeah. There, there was one other. So, uh, so would Alexander Walker be on the table? We could we could negotiate that. Yeah, we why not? <laughs> I mean, like I, I I understand like he had, it, you know, it, clearly not not a great year there, and uh, it, it seemed like decision making was a was a massive problem there. On the other hand, like young talent, he was what middle of the first round pick last year. You know, uh, might uh, might be able to do something in a in a different role on a different team. So I think that's somebody I might be uh, kind of interested in. So uh, if you guys were looking for more shooting. Um, so we've got Cody Martin, who is not a shooter. And ironically, his twin brother, Caleb, who <laughs> pretty much is nothing but a shooter. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. He's, he's okay uh, defensively as well. Um, but You're going to go Morris on us and try to trade both on. together, right? Right. Yeah, That's yeah. What's so, happen? Uh, so Caleb <laughs> shot something like 54% on a really small number of threes this year. But I mean, I think he's legitimately going to be a 36 to 40% uh, three point shooter. He's like 6'5, 210. So he's got, you know, good, good wing size as well. Um, so, I mean, something around those two might, might be sort of interesting. Like Alexander Walker is kind of weird. What does he do sort of thing? Might actually, uh, might actually fit pretty well with us. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting point to bring up because I don't, I personally am not opposed to moving Alexander Walker. I do, do I think it would take a little bit more than um, one of the Martin brothers to to acquire him because I feel like the the Pelicans are a little bit higher on him and are willing to give him some time, especially under a new coach, to figure out who he is and what he's going to be because the appeal of him is uh, very clear, right? He's a he's a swaggy risk taker that can make plays and sometimes you need those players that can just generate plays whether it's on an offensive end on the defensive and you just need that stuff and if he's able to rein in some of the out of control list that he has then there is a mold for him being to being an effective player whether it's on the bench i i feel like you just explained terry rosier yeah yeah that's true but uh but i'll tell you from my perspective um i i mean the, to me, the biggest difference between them, I mean, obviously one is, one is the age and the contract, but even besides that, um, the fact that, uh, that Nikhil is doing this at six foot, what, four, six, five. And, He's like and six, Terry, six. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Terry's six, two. Like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. That's a good point. you know, my, my biggest concern with the Hornets is that they're going to say, well, the biggest strength of our team this year 
was the um, was the Grand Rosier backcourt. Like they did some really great things there. And a year from now, the Hornets are going to finish with 62 losses, and the <laughs> luster will be off a little bit on Devante and really off on Terry. <laughs> and it'll be like, oh, wait a minute, we tried to get by with two six foot two dudes who. You know, like there's a lot of stuff that's missing there. Um, and I love Devontae, um, and I'd be fine with keeping him, but I want the right framework around him. And like Terry Rozier is not the right framework around around Devontae. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. I feel like uh, to, to Schmidt's point, I mean, uh, you, the Nikhil uh, fans were going nuts with for Nikhil in, after Summer League and preseason. Like he right. was. He was phenomenal against shitty competition, and then the and then the real the real games came around, and and like like you're saying, it not the results were not great. And so this dude forgot how to make like a two handed <laughs> chess pass. You know, everything <laughs> had to be like a swaggy left handed skip pass, and you know, just sometimes it's like okay, get back to the basics, which is why I'm interested in a coach that can bring in some of the get back to the basics stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and exactly why the Pelicans are probably less inclined to trade him, knowing that this is probably. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's his lowest value. Uh, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen next year, and if he does the same thing here, his value plummets even further. Um, but I think it's uh, of between his draft day and now, he's at his lowest value, and so I think to that to that end, he's probably he's probably not going anywhere yet. But um, I think it. You know, we'll see. It might be on the table soon. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Cool. So we're gonna end this with you naming your your favorite uh, all-time Hornets player and why is it Dwight Howard? <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, I mean, Dwight Howard is even behind Nick Batum. So, didn't Batum like had one good year for you guys? They're a long way in the rear view mirror, but I do have those two years to hold on to, so. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I mean, my favorite all time is definitely Muggsy Bogues um, because uh, I'm a short dude and he's a short dude and he lasted in the NBA forever and is the all time Hornets assist leader and is like an icon in Charlotte. So, so he's definitely the, uh, the all time favorite. The all time in recent Hornets history since they've become the Hornets again, Marvin Williams, easily. Um, just wow. Was, yeah, super classy guy. Um, was. You know, could start, could come off the bench, uh, never complained. Um, his advanced metrics were always so much better than his box score stats were. Um, just kind of did a little bit of everything. Um, you know, they told him you need to learn how to shoot the three. And like three years later, he's chucking 39%. They told him you need to start defending centers. He starts doing that. Like he just kind of did whatever um, the team needed. So uh, it'll be really tough to, to beat Marv in my book. That's an insult to, to Brian Roberts. I'm I'm offended. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Let me take that back. Gosh, I forgot about Brian Roberts. I'm pretty sure I have like tweets saying like we should send him to Siberia. Um, just... <laughs> that's those are my General Pargo tweets from from a decade yeah. ago. But yeah, that's Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts forgot about him. I guess. Wait, no, I did. I did have one last question uh, before we sign off, and and this might take a while, but like, what do you think went wrong? with 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 kip gilchrist like what why why did he not necessarily progress as he maybe should have as a number two pick and beyond just being like a stout defender and good rebounder but just not much else that's a great question yeah so i think 
so on the positive side, pretty much every single year, the Hornets defense was better with MKG on the court than it was with him off. He, he was a terrific defensive player, uh, really rangy. You could have him guard all the way up to, not that he was going to do a great job on LeBron because nobody does a great job on LeBron, but you could, you know, credibly put him on the LeBrons and Kawhis, um, you know, down to the Paul Georges. Uh, he did a fantastic job at just randomly remembering a game like three, four years ago when um, Victor Oladipo was going nuts against Hornets, put MKG on him and like really quieted him down the rest of the game. So really, really versatile and, and good on defense. Um, I mean, the really short answer is he just could never shoot. Um, but I think the bigger part is like, I think smart coaches and, and smart front offices will look at a guy like MKG early in his career and say, we'd love for him to develop his shot, but what's our plan B? Like, how do we get the most out of his really weird, funky, useful skills if he never learns how to shoot, right? What, what does that look like? Um, you know, do we decide to make him like a super small ball five, uh, which you actually look decent doing uh, in small doses? You know, do we make sure that we've got a lot of shooting at the five and, and make him a full-time four? You know, like, how do we do this? Are there certain lineups that work better? Um, you know, do we start him at the dunker spot and move him out? Like, you know, and I just felt like the Hornets did the most, um, well, they just took the most obvious path of all, which was, well, let's just keep trying to get him to shoot. Let's try to improve the shot. Well, okay, it didn't work this year. Let's change the shot again next year he just eventually just really lost confidence um, in it. He, he was, you know, one of those guys who could make it in, um, in practice and just would not take shots in, uh, in game situations. Uh, you know, he just, I, I think just lost the ability to do that. Um, and they'd never figured out what that plan B was. And so, uh, you know, I look at it now and it's like, well, there's other guys in the league who can't shoot. And, and if they're the only one on the team who can't shoot or, or they're one of two, like you can figure something out there. Um, but you know, the thinking was just never there to say, you know, how do we make the most of, of what this has to offer? Um, uh, you know, Kemba, uh, Kemba, Cody and, and MKG was like a really good combination, uh, you know, for, for a few years, um, it worked really well together and they could never quite figure out, okay, how do we take the best parts of that and extrapolate it to other stuff? You know, how do we make MKG into somebody who can contribute? 25 minutes a game or 30 minutes a game and still not not kill us with his lack of shooting you know I wonder how much of it is that he got drafted like three years too early you know because it seems like players of his mold are becoming more useful uh, as as teams get more creative and I look at some of the starting centers that the Hornets had for a while I mean you guys had Al Jefferson who's just gonna sit in the post the whole time Uh, you know Cody Zeller Dwight Howard and and they're just that that spacing really really kills you. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at somebody like Isaac Okoro in this draft, everyone is hoping he learns how to shoot. He may end up being somebody who does everything except shooting. And I'm pretty confident that whoever drafts him is going to have a solid plan for what if what if he's never hitting from 22 out, right? What what do we what do we do in that case? Like I I totally agree with you. I think the the NBA, you know, first evolved on the three-point track, and now it's evolving on the what do we do with the guys who don't fit into that, right? How do we how do we mesh them in with the rest of the players um, that we've got on our roster? Excellent points. Well, guys, this has been Div and Sally and at StatStenner. If you want to follow him on Twitter, puts out great stuff all the time. 
excellent all-around coverage and analysis for the whole league, not just the Hornets. In fact, I feel like you tweet more about the, the league as a whole than you do about the Hornets. I think that's um, true. Yep. And, but, you know, we're really happy to have you. Thank you for giving us your perspective and uh, we should do this again for sure. Yeah. Sounds great. Thanks so much for the chance. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. everyone my name is colin kelly and i have one question for you do you love fantasy football and do you want to win in 2021 then be sure to check out rotoviz overtime and all the other rotoviz podcasts with new shows dropping every day on blue wire we've got you covered for all things fantasy football subscribe to rotoviz overtime today